So if you are new to discipleship class or if you just need a refresher, I'm just gonna go over kind of order of the evening first and then we will get into the topic. So all of you, or you should either have or be sharing a handout like this. It has front and back sides to it and it's roughly the topics we're gonna be going through. So if you have a question in mind and you're looking ahead on the sheet, it should tell you roughly when that is probably gonna be brought up or addressed or dealt with. Um, and so it, you can either save the question till that point, or if they don't get answered at any point in the night, we'll have a time at the end for Q and A. The, the, rough, the rough pattern we're gonna do it in is we're gonna be going through a topic which will be roughly 15 to 20 minutes, that's the goal, uh, with like five minute breaks in between, uh, five to 10 minute breaks in between, depending on how rough or how long we go, because these are all soft starts and stops. Um, and then the goal is to get through all of these topics, so six total, you can do the math on that. Um, yeah, so that's going to be kind of the order of operations. But before we get started, um, this is more for me than for you. I'm curious, are there any questions you're hoping we cover tonight, topics or things that you want addressed during our time together under the general topic of spiritual gifts? And if so, I would like to record them so I make sure I address them at some point or at the end if I miss them. This is bringing me more comfort, so... Because most of these I've at least studied, so... I said most, I don't want you to know which ones I didn't. <laughs> All right. Other thoughts on that? Anything else you're curious about? If not, you'll probably either doubt something I say throughout the course of the evening or uh, be inspired to ask me a question which might trap me in a corner. So um, <laughs> uh, we will do that all probably throughout the course of tonight. Okay. So if I don't, by the way, if, if you said something and I forget to look at this list or don't look at it, I'll make sure to go over it at the very end and we can go through these, all right? Okay, so um, let's go ahead and get started with topic number one, which is the purpose of the gifts. And for this, I wanna start off with a quotation that is given by Alistair Begg that addresses this topic. This is out of his sermon series through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he says, uh, he says this about the spiritual gifts. Um, when, when he's asked, why, are this, why is there so much confusion about the gifts today? Why are there so many different opinions, so much uh, controversy over them? He says, the answer must surely lie in the fact that the evil one, recognizing how vital the correct use of spiritual gifts is, both to the health and the effectiveness of the church, seeks to sow division, confusion, and uncertainty in order to foster among the people of God ignorance and unbelief. Because there is perhaps no other area in the church's life, certainly for the last 40 years, that has been beset by so much unbelievable stuff and has surrounded it. No other area of Christian doctrine has been subjected to so much disruptive confusion. So when addressing the question of why are we talking about spiritual gifts, I think it's probably worth saying on the front end that there is quite a bit of confusion about the spiritual gifts. And what I mean by that is there's not much consensus, even in Protestant circles, even in broader evangelicalism, even really in Christendom at large, about what these gifts are, how they operate, how we should practice them within the church. And the question is why? Well, it's because these are the things that allow the church to thrive. And Satan, being very wise as to how to confuse the church and get it uh, to not function as it ought to, has done so quite effectively in this area. So part of learning about the gifts is so that we are not confused and so we can exercise the gifts in accord with how they've been given to us in Scripture. So. As we look into these topics tonight, I want, I want us to keep that in mind. The reason there's confusion is because this is a very important topic for the life of any church. So that being said, I want to look at 
um, maybe a couple of texts that are important. And we'll do that as we answer these questions here. First, uh, really, where do they come from? And I've kind of given you the answers to each of these. Um, where do they come from? And then also, what is their purpose? And you'll see the answers to both of those there at one and two. Uh, and that's for you to uh, question and even take notes on if you would like to. So the first uh, position that I have is that spiritual gifts are given by God. That's where they come from. So if you want to turn with me to your Bible, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I think we have an example in 1 Corinthians 12 about what we can say from where the gifts come and for what purpose they ought to be used. And I'm going to start reading in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So this is, this is a much larger section that has to do with gifting. I'm just going to read selections of this. So I'm just going to start in verse 7 of chapter 12. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And then if you look with me also at verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 12, says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed to the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So in both of these sections, I think we address first where, where the spiritual gifts come from, and then secondly, uh, to, for, for what purpose do we have them? The first reason is, the, you can see it in the text, that they're given by God. That's in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, um, and really in verse 7, right off the bat. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And you'll see that this manifestation is of the Spirit. It's several times listed as such. So it's given of the Spirit. Uh, it's given through the Spirit. It's given by the same Spirit. It's given by the one spirit. And in that whole section, you just see that the gifts flow from God. These are not talents that we innately have before we come to faith. They come from God to us after our conversion for the edification of the body. You'll also notice that uh, these gifts are empowered by the spirit. And in verse 11 of that section, I think is the key text to, to look at. It says, to, uh, these are all empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That he is referring to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God decides where the gifts go, to whom they go, what gifts they get. These are not things that we can learn. Uh, these are not things that can be taught by other Christians to one another. These are things given by God according to his sovereignty for the benefit of the church. Uh, we, we see that this is clearly uh, set out for us in Scripture that it is his will uh, to give his own uh, body, his own church, whatever he pleases. 
and he gives us whatever we need for our edification, for our growth. And in Corinth, Paul is primarily concerned with the abuse of these spiritual gifts, the sensationalism of them. And so when he writes to the church, he spends much of his time, uh, several chapters, telling them how to rightly use the gifts. And the reason is because if they're used wrongly, they can really hinder the church. They can really abuse and cause the church to die out. And so he's, he's very concerned that they get this right. Just about as much time is spent, for example, on sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians. So these are big issues for the church. And if they don't get it right, they're going to struggle to thrive and to do well. So the gifts are given by God for his church. Now, to answer one of the questions I think that was asked, um, are these just natural talents or are they things that uh, we are given apart from natural talents? How do those things kind of work together? How should we think about that? Uh, spiritual gifts may or may not aid to aid a natural talent, but they don't necessarily have to go with natural talents that you already have. So for example, we have uh, an Old Testament example of something like this where Moses, who's not a great public speaker, is nevertheless given the gift of God to go speak before Pharaoh for the glory of God so that he can let his people go. Moses is not a gifted speaker, and nevertheless he's gifted to speak. Paul is not, according to his own uh, letters, not a gifted speaker, and nevertheless he is a speaker and a teacher in the church. On the contrary, we have the example of a man named Apollos in the New Testament. He is a very gifted speaker even before he's baptized in the, in the baptism of Jesus Christ. And then after, he becomes one of the most powerful teachers in the early church. So much so that in the Corinthian church, they're actually sowing divisions and they're going with Peter and Apollos and Paul and they're deciding which of the teachers they like the most. And so that's probably because Apollos is a very powerful preacher. He's not Peter. He's not the chief of the apostles. And he's not Paul, the, the forefront missionary to the Gentiles. So for Apollos to make his name on the list as a distinguished teacher within the church, you have to imagine his preaching was pretty outstanding. And so that for Apollos, it was a natural gift of communication aided with the Spirit to help him preach. And for Paul, it was almost the opposite. Paul was not an eloquent speaker, and nevertheless, the Spirit gave him the blessing of being able to preach. It's a gift. So we see that same thing today, where someone can have a natural talent or a natural disposition towards something, such as a communicator. Someone could be able to give speeches or uh, to, to give talks on different topics, and God can redeem them and use them as a preacher in his church. That could be possible. It could also be that someone, for example, if you know John Piper, he would say before he, his conversion, he was the most abysmal of all speakers. And it was only by God's grace that he learned to preach through the Spirit and through much discipline and much prayer that he, his tongue was essentially loosed for him to be able to preach. So he would be an example of someone who would say before Christ, he was not a speaker. And after Christ, he was gifted to preach. So there's examples of both of these things interplaying. So we can think sometimes of something as a natural talent. Sometimes uh, we just don't have good vocabulary to distinguish between natural talents and gifts. And so I think that um, later we're going to talk about which gifts are listed for us in Scripture. Is that an exhaustive list? Things like that. And when we, when we get there, we'll talk a little bit more about this topic as well. Uh, the second point that I had there is not only that they're given from God to his church, but also that they're given specifically for the edification of the body. Now, this is a very key idea because this is going to be almost a litmus test for is this a spiritual gift or not? This is going to tell you very quickly whether what you have is a gift from God or whether it's your own pride or conceit that's led you here. So uh, to look at this, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 4. And you've seen a little bit of this also in 1 Corinthians as well. 
And this will be uh, verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll start reading uh, in verse 12. So in verse 11, he talks about what he gives to the church. And then in verse 12, he says his reason for it. He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by human cunning or by craftiness and deceit and schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body to grow so that it builds itself up in love. So you'll see both individual lines that kind of support that point and also the, the dominant uh, thrust from verse 11 all the way to verse 16 is that the gifts are given from God, but not only are they given from God, they're also given specifically for a purpose. That purpose is to build up the body in love, everyone doing their own individual gifting and doing that for the edification of the body. And you'll notice there are some downstream effects of what it means for the body to be edified. He doesn't leave that undefined for us. He means that the body is to be healthy. And what, and, what, and what he gives us as specifics is so that we may no longer be children, meaning spiritually immature. And for Paul, children typically refers to doctrinally immature as well. And uh, so he elaborates. He says, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by human cunning or by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So last time we did a discipleship class, we talked about critical race theory. And part of what we introduced right at the beginning was in the early church, they struggled a lot with heresies and false teaching. And so how did they decide what was true and what was false? Well, according to Paul uh, and according to Irenaeus and according to many of the church fathers, one of the ways in which you can guard your church against false teaching is you can actually build up each individual member into maturity, into right doctrine, into sound teaching. And so the spiritual gifts are given to the church for that end to build up mature believers who are doctrinally sound, who can stand on their own two feet, and who can uh, d make disciples. So this is not that the church is getting spiritual gifts so everyone can put their gifts on display. The church is getting spiritual gifts so that everyone in the church can help out everyone else in the church to grow into being the body of Christ as they ought to be. So we see that all throughout Ephesians. Again, also in 1 Corinthians, that text we looked at, uh, verse 7, it says uh, the same thing that the gifts are given for the purpose of the body, for the edification of the saints. Now, specifically, what does that edification mean? What does that edification look like? Uh, there's a bunch of texts that we're going to look at tonight in general, but I'm just going to give broad brushstrokes initially. The first uh, way in which spiritual gifts edify the church or edify the body is through the diversity of the gifts. So part of the, the assumption in the gifts, and we, we read that text in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, that not everyone has every gift. Not everyone prophesies. Not everyone speaks in tongues. Not everyone can do healing. Not everyone's an apostle, right? The, the obvious answer to all of that is no, no, no. Not everyone does all these things. So we are reliant then on one another to actually be the church that we ought to be. No one can go on their own and practice Christianity and really be the body of Christ. We're dependent on one another to grow in faith. So the diversity of the gifts partially adds to the unity of the gifts. So they're both diverse, meaning we all need kind of the full smattering of gifts in order to function. And also, because we need other gifts, it forces us to be unified towards one another. And so one of the things we're going to talk about towards the end here is the, the chief gift, the thing that Paul talks about is like the moderating thing for all the gifts is love. 
that everyone has a different kind of gift that they can exercise and not everyone's gift is the same. And then, so how do you, with all that diversity, come together in unity and still function without sowing division, without being jealous, without being envious? How do you do that? And for Paul, he says, love. Love is the ruling notion in the church. It's the thing that gives you the ability to say, I am not significant because of my gift. I'm trying to use this gift to love the church, to love my neighbors. And so for Paul, love is the thing that kind of governs the use and function of all these gifts. And so love is not a spiritual gift. Love is something that all believers have. And love helps us to regulate and uh, to, to dictate how far we use our spiritual gift and how much of that spiritual gift is really uh, just us being prideful and trying to assert ourselves. So it gives us a, a good barometer there. The, the other thing with, so we have diversity in the body, we have unity. The other piece that I think is important to understand, and this is going back to 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 15, um, is the idea that while we have many gifts, Paul is very careful to say that no one is better or worse than anyone else based on what gifts they've been given. So if you look at verse 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you'll see this as well. And this is a verse we did not read earlier, but this is a relatively famous text in Christianity. So if you've grown up in the church, you'd be able to quote this right along with me. He says, if the foot says, should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong in the body. Would that make it any less a part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. There's God's sovereign choice again. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And then the key idea with no one's better, even though there's difference. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body we think less honorable, to those we bestow greater honor. And in our unpresentable parts, we are treated with greater modesty. With our more presentable parts, they do not require that. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. The common idea in all of that, and the reason I'm reading so much text on the front end, is because these are the operating assumptions that we're getting at for these verses. Uh, and for these, this topic, that if the body is to be edified, if the body is to grow, it can only do so if it's unified and it understands that it has unity. It can only do so if it has diversity and it understands that it needs that diversity to function. It can only do so if it says that just because one part does a different function doesn't mean that part is somehow removable, right? That part is not uh, better or worse than any other part. It's just different. And I think in our society today, it's it's hard for us to rationalize that because we we function in a society that says, uh, if you have a different skill set in the marketplace or a different passion that you like to do, the, the market can value that at a certain level. And then we begin to think that that thinking applies to everything else that we do in life. That someone is more or less valuable to a church, depending on what they do. That someone is more or less valuable to a family, depending on what they contribute. We, we tend to think about all things in the category of capitalism. And while that's a, a fine system for a free market, it's, it's not a really good system if you're in a family. It's not a really good system if you're in a body. And so there's a, there's a difference between how we think about the market economy and how we think about the church, right? There's a difference that's ne ne necessary if we ought to really treat one another with respect. 
And then uh, Paul also talks about um, desiring the greater gifts. Uh, he says this in verse uh, 31 of 1 Corinthians 12. He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And that's interesting because we just talked about how there aren't any better or worse gifts. And so w- what does Paul mean when he says uh, desiring the greater gifts? Part of what he's talking about is not that someone is more or less valuable as, a, as an individual Christian or more or less spiritual depending on what gift they have. But he does say that there are some gifts that are to be more prioritized by the body than other gifts. Now, I want to be careful as to how we uh, tease this out. The church has historically recognized, uh, and Paul here recognizes, that the gift of prophecy is superior to the gift of tongues. And we're going to look at uh, that as we go deeper into our evening together. But he, he has reasons for that. And his basic argument is this, and I'll flesh this out more in detail is that if the goal of the gift is edification of the body, Paul's basic argument is prophecy does a better job of that than speaking in tongues. And his basic, his basic uh, proposition is that if the gift edifies the body more, that gift, that gift is more highly valued. Not the person who has the gift. Does that make sense? The gift is to be valued, but the person is not better or worse just because they have that gift. This is a common mistake in the church. Because what we like to do is take people who are good at certain things, like preaching, and then we put them as an individual on all kinds of platforms just because they have the gift of preaching. And then we wonder why so many of them get conceited and prideful and then disqualify themselves. It's because the person was never more significant than anyone else in their church. They were, by God's grace, given a gift for the edification of the church that is particularly valuable to the church. So... We have to be careful by saying that, because what Paul doesn't say here is earnestly desire yourself to be greater as a result of the gift that you have. He says earnestly desire the higher gifts. And he's not speaking there individually as individual Christians desiring the higher gifts. He's talking about the church. The church should desire its body to have those higher gifts present, those greater gifts present. So, uh, and then this is a a quote from Tom Schreiner that I think will um, help us work through this as well. Um, he says that how we are given gifts by God and how we relate to one another in the body is not a result of how we feel about one another. It's not how close we feel that determines whether we are or are not a body. In Paul's illustration of a body with members, the eye, depending on how it feels, can't decide it's no longer an eye, no longer part of the body. By being a believer, you are, as a fact, part of the body. By being a believer in a church, you are, as a fact, required to use a gift for the edification of the church. It doesn't depend on how you feel. Uh, it doesn't depend, or depend on how close you feel to your fellow church members. Um, what matters is that you are now part of the body. And so as a fact, you are now a member of the church. And so the, the burden is not, oh, do I belong or do I not? The burden is, how can I serve? How can I engage? How can I love my brothers and sisters well? Because it, for the body analogy, it doesn't matter how the hand feels. It's still attached. And so it's a fact that it's part of the body, not based on how it feels and how close or how uh, valued it feels. So I think that's uh, pretty valuable. Um, We'll say more about love later. I'm a little bit over my first 20 minutes already. So um, I'll pause there, give you guys a little break, and then we can dive back into session two.